This is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. Uh, to have uh, my friend, Pastor Mike, uh, all the way from Uganda. He's also a part-time here in Sonoma County. Um, he has uh, his friend, uh, who Bishop uh, Wilbur from Uganda, who's here. And uh, I'm going to have Pastor Mike come up and, and uh, greet you and then introduce Pastor Wilbur. Would you give him a hand, a Promise Center welcome. It's a great blessing and a great honor for us, uh, me and Pastor Wilbur, to be here with you this evening. My name is Michael Mataya. I'm a pastor from Uganda. I pass a church called Calvary Temple Worship Center Mbale and the Ministry Champions Evangelistic Ministries International. Uh, we work together with Pastor Wilbur Fosokum. These are two different ministries, but we come from the same city. Uh, He's my mentor. We've worked together for the over 13 years now, and he helped us also to get married. He's a great man. God has really uh, blessed him, and he's blessing our country. Uh, well, this year, at the beginning of this year, I was introduced to this church through some friends from Uganda who pray from here. Say, Pastor Mike, would you please come and visit our church? And I was introduced to Pastor King. We had a great time, and really, I found a friend. So our friendship has been growing and growing. So this time, uh, when Pastor Wilbur Fosokum came around, we went to San Diego, to Fresno, and I told him, please, before you go back to Uganda, I wanted to come and meet our friend, our dear pastor. And so we are here. I want us to join our hands together and invite Pastor Wilbur Fosokum from Bale, Uganda, to just come and bless us this evening. Thank you, Pastor. Good evening. I have a very long name for a first name. It's Wilberforce. I did not choose it, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm so privileged and honored to be standing here today. I have been traveling for years, ministering the gospel in a few places. And every place I've see, gone, I've seen the favor and the grace of God. God is still doing miracles, signs and wonders. God is still alive. Amen. I would like you to stand, if you will. And I'd like to introduce something to you that uh, we will use later on to pray. Uh, if you can help me put up the uh, 60... Eighth Psalm, and let's find a place in verse 28. Uh, Psalm 68 and verse 28. I'm going to read from um, New King James. Um, if you have it in your Bibles, we could read from your Bibles. I'm sorry I, didn't, I did not give it to him. Though. Okay. So if we, if you, if it is possible, let's read it together aloud to yourself. Let's go. Your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O oh God, what you have done for us. I like to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I give you praise. 
and I glorify you and I magnify you. And I thank you for the opportunity of being here, worshiping with the saints and also the opportunity to share your word with your people, Lord God. I ask that the anointing will be present, that your power will be visible, that there will be faith to receive those things that we have at such a time as this one, Lord God. In the end that we may bring you glory, I trust you and I give you praise and I commit myself into your hands and this congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, ladies and gentlemen. <coughs> the reason I read that scripture is not my part of my sermon, but I like to introduce to start with this. And the reason I read that scripture, it says the psalmist, like God, somebody is speaking or a prophet is saying, your God has commanded your strength. And then the person who's listening to it turns around and said, strengthen, O God, that which you have done for us. Old King James said, that which thou hast wrought for us. And sounds contradictory. He's telling you, he has commanded it, and you're asking, strengthen it. Now, the only place we find the same kind of statement is when God speaks to Elijah and says, go over to Zarephath in Sidon, for I have commanded a widow woman there to feed you. Well, you know the story. Elijah packs up his box and gets to Zarephath. And there is no sign whatsoever that God has spoken to any person there. I mean, God says, I've commanded somebody to feed you. He gets there and the only woman he finds is somebody who's about to die who has no food. Any sign that God has spoken to him? No. Has God lied? No. When God says, I have commanded, he decrees it in the spiritual realm. Prayer takes us into the spiritual realm to unpack that which is already given to us and bring it to the now. Somebody say the now. Everything that God has purposed for you while you're on earth is already there in the spiritual realm. God has already commanded it. He has ordered it. He's provided for it. He has allocated it to you. And all you got to do is go into prayer and ask for that which God has already purposed for you. There is no way we don't have the capacity to create a new idea in God's mind. So every prayer you're going to make, God has already planned to answer that prayer. Every prayer you're going to make, God has already planned to answer it. And so he says, the Lord has commanded your strength. And he says, strengthen, oh God, that which you've done for us. I challenge you to make that prayer. Wherever you go, just go before God and say, God, just do those things that you have already purposed to do for me. Establish those things that you have already done for me in the spiritual realm. Bring them into the now so that I may touch them, so that I may see them. You're looking for a baby. God has commanded your baby now. Say, God, bring it into the realm so that I can touch we are on earth in the place, in the time of the touch, the seeing, the feeling. And we need to see those things that God has already commanded for us here on earth. I've seen God do supernatural things. But first of all, he shares with me and tells me what he has purposed for me. And then I begin to pray. Now, a lot of people would have said, if God has commanded it, why do I have to pray? It will remain in the spiritual realm. And you live far from it until you realize that it's through your prayer, you go into the spiritual realm and bring it into the natural. Prayer 
takes what is in the spiritual realm and brings it into the natural. Don't forget that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I come from a town called Mbale in Uganda. Uganda is one of those small countries in Africa. It's about the size of Oregon. But it already has about 33 million people. Very, very populated. Our country is green. Uh, it is so endowed naturally by God. We have oil. We have fertile soil. We have almost everything. You could throw seed anywhere and it will grow. What we need you to pray for us is government. We've had bad government successfully, so the management of the country has not been so good. But it's changing, and we believe God is turning our nation around because God has a call on Uganda to take the gospel to other parts of the world. Uh, our ministry is called Living Water Ministries, and our desire has always been to take the gospel from Uganda through Sudan, Egypt, and onto the Mediterranean Sea. Now, it's so hard to say it, but I keep saying it, that I have one more church plan to do apart from the church that I pass right now, and that is going to be in Alexandria in Egypt. How we are going to do that, I do not know. But keep praying. <laughs> keep praying. We are building a church. We are actually roofing it. It is about probably the biggest in our the central region. I mean, in our eastern region, there's nothing big about being a big church. But the purpose was to establish a strong enough church that will have the capacity to send missionaries across Africa to other places and to support them. And God is beginning to do that. So sometimes we partner with Mike and we travel together on these mission fields and we see hundreds of people come to the Lord. We did the last one was in July, July, and it was three weeks mission. 3,000 people came to the Lord in one city called Lira. Amen. So... God is still in the business. My first crusade was actually not in Uganda. It was in England. And no, that town is called Mammoth. It is between England and, uh, and, and Wales. And so sometimes, I think for about 20 years, it was in Wales. And then we went back to England. So that's where it is. God helped me to do one crusade as a test case to see if God had actually called me to do these things. Now, he sent me to the most difficult place to do a crusade. And four nights, we had wonderful crusade. We had miracles happen. I was not yet even, I was, I think, 29 or 20. I mean, I was young in Uganda. Our level of exposure is not that much. So at that age of 27, you're still like maybe the exposure level is of somebody who's maybe 18 in America. Praise the Lord. So we have seen God, and God has been faithful to us. But I do not want to waste your time with my stories. So let's get into the word. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and we will read from verse 15, if you will. Um, uh, I like this particular portion of scripture because it just sends fire on the inside of me. Um, Luke chapter 4, did I say? Yes, Luke chapter 4, and that's going to be verse 15. I'm trying to stick to my Bible, okay. Verse 15 reads, And he taught 
in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, um, recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I'll read it a little bit more longer. Verse 20, he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, the son of Joseph, as it was known, has lived and been raised in this place for about 29 years, now going on 30. They know him as an ordinary young man, pure, well-behaved, but nothing special about him. There's no record anywhere that Jesus did any miracle in those first 30 years. He's just an average man in a little village doing what other young people are doing only that it was good. And some things begin to happen around him. He's known in the synagogue as one of the young men who stand up to read. So this particular day he comes into the temple, into the synagogue, and stands up to read. The Bible says, as was his custom. Miracles happen as we do the ordinary things that God wants us to do. Somewhere along the way, God does a miracle. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, had his wife. They had not, never had a child for a long time. He was just carrying on his normal duty. Then suddenly there's an angel. And the angel said, you're going to have a son. We don't have to be in a special place to have a special encounter with God. No. Hallelujah. So Jesus comes into this synagogue, stands up to read, and is handed the scroll of the book of Isaiah. The Bible does not say the attendant told him where to read. He opened the, 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 the scroll and found a place which is actually Isaiah 61, and began to read. And he read on and on and on, and then stopped in a convenient place and, and said, okay, he handed the book back to the attendant and sat down. Now, there's, there must have been a way he read it, or the choosing of that particular text, that when he sat down, all the eyes of the people that were in the synagogue were fixed on him. There was a tense moment. There was like, there must be something more he's going to say to us. And so when everyone looked at him, the Bible says, Jesus then stood up. He rose up again and said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled 
in your hearing. Where does Jesus get this audacity to say those things? I mean, he's a young man who has grown up in our village. We know him as the son of Joseph. His mother is Mary. He has brothers and has sisters. Why would he, how can he take a portion of the Bible and say this is now going to be fulfilled? But he did. Yes, he did. He just entered the synagogue, stood up, and read a scripture that probably people had been scattering around. They had not read it, maybe. You know, there are so many parts of the Bible that today a lot of religious Christians don't want to read. Because it disturbs their intelligence. You know, when you talk about miracles and the power of the Holy Spirit, intelligent people feel insulted. And so, he reads the scripture. And so I want to survey this particular scripture that he read, the very words that he spoke. He stood up in verse 18 and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus said those words. Said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So there are two different things. One, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. The second, God has anointed him. What's the difference? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me. Very different. Because God has anointed me, the Spirit of the Lord now rests upon me. Everything that God anoints, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon it. And so the focus is not the Spirit of the Lord being upon you. The focus is on being anointed. Because he's saying the Spirit of the Lord is upon him because God has anointed him. First of all, God has anointed him. Now the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And so sometimes when we talk about anointing today in our Pentecostal religion, we do not really understand what the anointing means. The anointing means authority. The anointing means leave to do. The anointing means an appointment. God has appointed him to heal the sick, has appointed him to raise the dead, has appointed him to do all these things. Now because God has anointed him, the spirit of the Lord is upon him. When we understand what we are anointed for, the spirit of the Lord will come upon us to do those things that God has anointed us to do. A lot of believers have not understood where their anointing is at. We pray, Spirit, come upon me. Why? The Spirit only comes upon you if God has anointed you. In the Old Testament, they anointed people. They anointed, first of all, only priests were anointed. They made this uh, a wonderful, sweet-smelling oil and smeared or rubbed it on or poured it upon the head of the priests. Originally, uh, the anointing of with oil was 
a sign of welcome. If you were well pleased in a person, you anointed their feet with oil, you anointed their head with oil. Jesus says to Simeon, he says, since I entered your house, you have not anointed my head with oil, you have not anointed my feet with oil, but this woman, the one you're calling a prostitute, has anointed my feet. It was a sign, if somebody was special to you, you anointed them when they came to your house. Now God picks on the same uh, practice and says to Moses, make a special oil for anointing. And God appoints priests. And after appointing the priests, he says, Moses, anoint them with oil. So he pours oil over them. And from that point, they have a right to act as priests. The decisions they make are binding. When God anoints you, the decisions you make are binding. When you command, it happens. Look at one of the things he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to say to people, you can get saved. I mean, who are you to tell someone that you can be saved? You have to be anointed. And so the word anointing means appointed of God. Approved by God. And so for all the years that believers have been going around looking for the anointing, you wonder what they are going to do with the anointing. Some of it is just to get goosebumps and fall down and roll around, speak in tongues. Those are just signs that the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. But why is the Spirit of the Lord upon you? It's because God has something for you to do in this world. Everyone that I'm looking at in this room has something to do that is divinely appointed of them to do. The earth has appointed you to do a few things. The government appoints you to do some things. Your village, your town will appoint you to do something. But there are some things that God himself has appointed you to do. And for that, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. When you discover what God has anointed you for, you will receive the spirit of God. And so Jesus spent three years training his disciples, preparing them for the work that he had called them to do. And after that, he anoints them with the Holy Spirit. Or he pours the Spirit upon them. The Spirit actually replaces the oil that was used in the Old Testament. But even in the Old Testament, when they used oil, the Bible says when Samuel poured oil upon uh, uh Upon Saul, he said, has not the Lord chosen you to be captain over his people? And immediately the spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul. And he prophesies and does all these crazy things with the mad prophets. After that, God rejects Saul and says, choose for me David. He sends Samuel again to anoint David. The spirit, David pours oil on David. I mean, Samuel pours oil on David. And immediately the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. I mean upon David. And he became a king. And he was successful in the things that he had been appointed to do. You need to be successful in those things that God has apportioned you to do. I'm enjoying a little bit of success. I wish I could have more success. I've gone to the places, some of the places that God has told me to go. I built the church that God told me to build. I was in England in 1993. God says to me, Okumu calls me by name, says, go to Mbali and build for me Paul Haven. 
That's why the church is not mine. It is me with a capital M. He says, go build me, Paul Heaven. And I was watching a video yesterday, a YouTube video that I made in 2004, sharing with somebody about the church. And it was just dirt, it was bush around, there was nothing, there was so much water in the place. And I was talking about this place is going to have this, this place is going to have this, this place is going to have this. That's why I was very, very excited coming to the new church that you're setting up. I like construction. And so I was talking about it. And now I was looking at the video yesterday and comparing with the picture of now the church roofed. And I said, thank you, Lord, that you can use us to do these things. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. My brother, my sister who seated here today. There must come a time today. I, I, I kind of titled my message, The Breakpoint. There has to be that time. Jesus has been ordinary for 30 years. There are so many prophecies from Abraham to the time that he's alive. Prophecies about what he would do. The things he would accomplish. Uh, pro, uh, Psalms, um, no, no, Genesis 49. Uh, it's, Jacob is prophesying over his sons, and he says of of uh, he says of um, Judah, he says the scepter of the right of the, the the ruler shall not depart from you, and he says until Shiloh comes, unto him shall be the gathering of the, all the people. He was talking about Jesus. You know what happened when Jesus came to Jerusalem on the last day when he was going to be arrested? He sent his disciples, say, go find me a donkey with this colt, untie him, and if somebody asks you, tell him the owner, the master needs him. That cult and that donkey was prophesied in Genesis 49. And now he's been living on earth for 30 years. I don't know how long you've been living, but God has a purpose for your life. And time has come for you to rise up and say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to do this or to do that. There are things that you are going to do with your life. Somebody help me and say amen. So 30 years he's been living ordinary life. He stands up in the temple, I mean in the synagogue and say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me. How do we get to that place, that break point? Where you break from the ordinary life to begin to live the supernaturally designed, divinely appointed life. How long are we going to live the ordinary life that our fathers and mothers gave us to, gave to us? You have a divine appointment. You have a divine calling upon you. The reason I know that is because you're not yet dead. You're alive. If you didn't have any calling on your life, you'd be home. So every one of you, every one of us, has a divine calling upon our lives. Something that we must accomplish with God's help. So how do we get to that place? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. No, Matthew chapter 3. Verse 15. Tonight you will stand up later on and say the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. 
Some of you are very scared to mouth those words, but yeah. <laughs> Verse 15. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Jesus had come to the spot where John the Baptist was baptizing people in River Jordan. John, by the Spirit, knows who Jesus is that is much higher than him. And so he's declining the opportunity of baptizing Jesus. And Jesus says to him, okay, I know who I am, I know how little you are and how big I am, but for now, somebody say for now. Say, say for now. He says for now, let it be so. He says for it is required of us, another version says, to do all that is required of us. The path to the anointing of God and to the spirit and the powerful presence of God in our lives is simply to do that which God requires of us before that happens. To one man, he said, go down, wash your face. And he, kept, he came back, see. To, to the ten lepers, he said, go show yourself to the priest. There were still lepers. The, the only people who went to show themselves to the priest must be those who feel and believe they are cleansed. They are not yet cleansed. He says, go show yourself to the priest. They do that along the way. A miracle happens. And so... Jesus has been living this ordinary life. He's going to break that and begin three years of powerful, powerful, life-changing, world-changing ministry. And John the Baptist is standing in his path. Because the Bible says, the spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The Spirit comes upon those who are willing to obey God. A lot of people talk about the Holy Spirit. They're just talking to be religious. But the Spirit power that works and does miracle comes upon those who obey God. Who at least demonstrate a willingness and a decision to obey God. And so Jesus does everything that he is required of him. Naturally, he doesn't see why he should do it. But God says, do it. So he does it. Another man, as we close, is in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. That's the other scripture I'd like us to read. 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, this is Elijah. He's coming into the nation at a time when there has been great backsliding in the nation. There's great suffering in the nation. Things are so hard in that country. You would say like America today. Maybe even worse. But the man who's going to turn around this nation calls all the people together, allows the prophets of Baal to make their show and their show collapses, and then he calls all the people to himself. Bible says, then he built 
the altar as according to the word of God that is in verse um, that is in verse 30 verse 30 and verse 31 he talks he builds the altar he repairs it and builds it as exactly as God had said then it comes to the time of prayer and in verse 36 as Elijah begins to pray and these are the words he says and it came to pass at the time are we on verse 36 it came to pass at the time of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Israel let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Verse 37 says, Hear me, O God, hear me, that these people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. Then a fire came from the Lord. They consumed the sacrifice. The rest is history. He gets all the prophets of Baal and kills them, 800 of them, and restores the nation back to the fear of God. How does he pray? He comes to God and says, God, let it be known, first of all, that you're God in Israel. He says the second thing, let it be known that I am your servant. I'm one of those people who do your commands. A servant is one who waits upon his master for directions and does what the master wants to be done. And says the third prayer, the third sentence in his prayer, let it be known that I've done these things at your word. Having said that, the Bible says the heavens opened, fire came down, consumed the sacrifice that was bathed in water, consumed the water, the wood, and the, the stones, and everything. The Bible says when the children of Israel saw it, they bowed down and they said, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. You're going to say, Pastor, no, that's not in the book. Praise the Lord. Actually, in your blue Bible, it, should do, it might be written this way. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, what's the name, the meaning of the name of Elijah? The name of Elijah means the Lord is God. Bible says in Isaiah, they will call you by the name that the mouth of the Lord has pronounced. If you were standing aside, you would hear the word Elijah, Elijah, Elijah from all the people. Finally, the whole nation is confessing the Lord God as their God. And time for action begins. He takes all the prophets. They are willing now. He tells them, seize all the prophets of Baal. He, they seize all of them. He says, take them, the, take them down the brook. He kills all of them. And he begins this transition of the nation. There are some things that God has called you to do. The path to the anointing is to be willing to do the crazy thing that God may be telling you to do. Some of us are crazy enough to do those things that God has told us to do. 
And people talk and praise you for the results that you see. But really, it is about God finding a servant. God finding a bunch of people who are going to do exactly what he tells them to do. Boom, the power comes down and miracles begin. Even about your own situation. Your own sickness. Your own circumstances. For a miracle to happen, God has to give an instruction. Jesus seated and they've had a party. The party is at the climax. Then wine is off. It's finished. The mother comes to him, to him and says, the wine is done. And Jesus said, it's not yet my time. And Mary ignores him, goes to the servants and said, whatever he tells you, do. As soon as Jesus had people who will do whatever he tells them, it was time. You can change the time by becoming willing. The moment your heart gets to that place where you say, God, whatever you tell me to do, I am going to do. It is time for a miracle. Are we ready? Rise up and stand. Listen. It must have taken two minutes or one minute from the time that Jesus said, Woman, what do I have to do with you? It's not yet my time. To the time when they now have the best wine, better than any wine that this wine county can make. I tell you, it was the best. If God, the Bible says it was the best, it was the best. Don't ever doubt the Bible. How long did it take for that transition to take place? As soon as Mary found people who were crazy enough to serve water instead of wine and expect it to become wine. So for all your prayers, how much you need miracles, are you willing to get to that place? Where you don't care what people are going to say. You don't care how stupid you're going to look before elated, intelligent people. And just willing to do what God has said. You can create the atmosphere for a miracle. That's why God waits a long time. He waits until we are broken and are willing to say to do whatever he tells us to. I thank God the day he called me into ministry. I was so stored. I was this I had believed in Jesus Christ. I'd seen God. I'd experienced the presence of God. But I did not believe in this thing of speaking in tongues and falling down. I thought that is for those people. Wilberforce does not fall. And actually what happened, I, there was a voice that said, you are going to go on the floor. And I, I went into the corner. 
I went into the corner of the building and braced myself. Wilberforce does not fall. Can you imagine having that conversation with the Holy Spirit? You know, some things, sometimes we think we are somebody. And we, do, and we can just talk to God and say, no, I don't want to do that. You know, people tell me, no, I cannot do that. And I'm like, do you know who you're talking to? So, people continue praying. I mean, these wonderful sisters and brothers are praying for the Holy Spirit to come. I'm in the corner, breast myself. I say, nah, I'm not going to fall. Well, you know what happened? I didn't realize what happened myself. I was on, my, on the floor. And I was carried about a meter off the ground, thrown down, carried up, thrown down, probably like 12 times. And in those 12 times, I promised God everything, probably the whole world. I said, whatever you tell me, I'll do. Whatever you send me, I'll go. And I was being thrown up, and every time I was thrown, I would promise God something. I'm now struggling to fulfill the promise that I made to Jesus. I've never succeeded. I've not even done a quarter of it. How many are willing for God to work in their lives? How many are willing for God to touch their lives? Or rather to touch God with their obedience? How many are going to come to that place where they say, God, whatever you want to do, do it in me. Lift up your hand and just begin to talk to God right now. Just begin to talk to him. Tell him. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. About your miracle, God has already done it. Don't worry about it. Just focus on just saying, God, whatever you tell me, I will do exactly that. Somebody talk to God. Let God know the condition of your heart. Let God know your determination, the decision you have made in your heart. It's decision time.